1: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. And another year is almost coming to an end, which means now is the perfect time to sit back, relax, and reflect on some of the best stuff that came out this year. We've already talked about our favorite books and podcasts. And today, we are getting into TV, and I'm very excited to introduce our guests for this one. With us is Ingu Kang, who writes about TV for The New Yorker. Ingu, hello. Hi. Also, here is Catherine Van Aaron, who writes about TV for New York Magazine. Catherine, hello. Hello. Okay, so before we get to our picks, I would love to know a little bit about how you are both sort of thinking of criteria for best shows of the year. Ingo, hmm. what do you think? Oh. <laughs>
2: I mean, I think the standard, like, really boring critic rule of thumb is you have to judge a TV show based on what it's going for, right? Mm. But I think with a top 10 end-of-the-year list, I really try to look for the shows that have like both stayed with me you Mm -hmm. know during the very very many months of every year Mm -hmm. and also (laughs) the ones that I feel like we're trying to do something new sort of like uh, push the medium a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of talk in the near future about if those kinds of shows are going to go away and honestly Mm -hmm. if they do then I don't know, like, I'm really happy to be celebrating the shows that are pushing the boundaries a little bit right now.
1: Do you mean in terms of kind of just the future of for example, streaming in general and what networks are willing to put money behind?
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about because so much of the innovations and the experiments that we've had in the past, I don't know, five to 10 years have come as a result of the overproduction of programming that came out of the streaming wars. And now mm-hmm. that, I think the corporations seem to be calling it truce and are sort of tending to their own financial wounds a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of big fear and anxiety and I think pessimism about what that's going to mean for TB in I don't know 2024 2025 right but Hmm. I'm hopeful and also I have to be hopeful
1: because this is what I've chosen to dedicate my life to (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense so yeah Catherine when it comes to sort of like looking back on the many months that are in a year and the stuff that's out like I assume what Ingu said also resonates with you in terms of what you're looking for
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for me, I I feel to try to pretend that my top 10 list can be like an objective best of the year list that exists. It is as much a portrait of me as a critic (laughs) as it is a portrait of TV this year. And I think it, it is foolhardy for me to try to pretend otherwise. I can only watch TV as me. And so there there is something that I have come to really believe in about looking at my list and thinking like in my gut I I know what show I actually really really was into like there is a part of me that just is like yeah yeah I know that one's important and Mm -hmm. and doing good things but like you know you really liked that other one better you know and so there (laughs) is something there is something really affirming about just uh, being able to kind of uh, trust fall into that um, complete subjectivity. Can I ask what's a show that you thought was important, but you thought, yeah, not so much? <laughs> eh, I mean, there are always that, that sort of temptation to lean toward where monoculture is, in part because we are whenever it sort of crops up. Um, we are, I'm, I am at least very thirsty for it, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and I and I like when we all watch stuff together, but it's like you know, Crown's not on my list this year. Yeah, yeah.
2: I don't know how many lifts it'll be on, really. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is, I guess, like TV critic uh, screener banter. This is boring. I love it.
1: I love it. No, this is just such a treat for me. But I don't know. I mean, I definitely... I am not a book critic, but I think books is really like, you know, that's kind of what I consider to be my lane. Mm. And I think part of it, to your point, Catherine, also is just like, I have not read all of the books in 2023. Therefore, like, I cannot tell you the best ones. I can tell you, you know, what I had time to read and the ones that I found the most enjoyable. But yes, of course, like that's inherently subjective.
3: Yeah, and it's sadly true for TV critics as well, even though it right. is our job. Like there are just not right. enough hours in the day.
1: Yeah, no. And that's pro- that's like part of the beauty of it in its mm-hmm. own way, too, right?
3: Listen, okay. I have to watch
2: Love is Blind if there is a new season. So
0: <laughs>
2: uh, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
3: Love is blind is on my Love is Blind is on my list this year.
2: Wow. Okay. I am very excited for your list.
3: Amazing. Ingu, I thought you were gonna say
1: my list is objective. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I know y'all have come up with top tens for your outlets, but I would love to focus on your top three and this can be I don't know you know obviously it's all subjective so we're I've asked you each to come up with three that you would like to talk about I have three as well um let's see Ingu do you want to start us off what's one of your faves from the year
2: maybe I'll start with like a crowd pleaser I Great. really loved beef um mm. I know that it has had sort of a bit of a controversy mm. but I think it's sort of picking back up um in any case Beef, if you don't know, uh, stars Steven Yeun and Allie Wong. And they're basically two strangers in Los Angeles and they get into a road rage incident. It's very brief, but it does lead to a chase. And then because both of them sort of leave the chase not entirely satisfied, they decide (laughs) that they are going to look up each other and try to mess with one another.
1: I'm a dangerous guy.
2: So stop messing with me and leave me alone or else.
0: I would love to let this go.
4: Actions have consequences.
2: And of course, in classic, uh, this sort of situation... They sort of become really, really enmeshed in each other's lives and Steven Yun's character gets to know Ali Wong's character's husband and Ali Wong's character starts catfishing Steven Yun's character's brother. Um, it's all very messy <sighs> and because these are really mm. self-loathing, lonely people who mm. think that they have sort of found a safe outlet for their anger they realize that these strangers are the only people they can truly confide in and can truly show the darkness within them and be accepted for it.
1: It's funny because I watched the first couple episodes and I love like just an absolutely unhinged plot. So I thought I would get really into this one, but I had a hard time with it. And I wonder if it's the self-loathing that did it for me. But it's interesting to hear you describe it because now I'm like, oh shit, I probably would really like that. I should keep (laughs) going with it.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's also just like a really easy watch. It is firmly mm. in dramedy um, territory. It is, mm. I believe, a half hour show. And I think one of the sort of clever gambits or calculations that the show does is that it is both very much about these two characters who happen to be Asian American and also are very Asian American. And I think Asian-American anger in itself is like a whole sort of like third rail people don't really talk about. And there Mm. are really important class distinctions between these two characters. Mm. And so it really felt to me like, you know, I had a great deal of fun and it was really fun to sort of take a step back and think about like where it fits into uh, Asian-American pop culture
3: as a whole.
1: Oh, I love that. That's super interesting. Um, okay, Catherine, what's on your list?
3: So the number one show on my list this year is Reservation Dogs, um, mm. which ended this year uh, after its third season on Hulu and is a show that has been on my list um, in the past. And sometimes the like what gets number one is really a, a struggle. Mm-hmm. And it was very much not for me this year.
1: I'm here to continue this story. A story as old as time. the story as fresh as Mountain Dew. A story that happened yesterday or maybe it happened last week or maybe
3: it has yet to even happen oh fuck
0: so let's get to it
3: it is a comedy it is also very very um intensely emotional and often Mm -hmm. like sad to the point of like full body weeping. Mm. Um, It is, if you have not seen, please, please, please run out and watch it. It is a show about four teenagers who live on a reservation in Oklahoma. And at the very beginning of the show, they are lost. They feel completely adrift because a friend of theirs um, has uh, died by suicide and they feel stuck on this reservation. They they feel like they have no future. They are trying to escape. They're trying to find all of this money to go to California. And it is both this really exquisite portrait of this place, but also this um, incredibly empathetic and considered picture of sort of what it what life feels like for these teenagers who live in this um, unusual place uh, within sort of larger American culture. And by the end, it uh, is about sort of finding a, a journey for each of these four teenagers, but without relying on a lot of the like most obnoxious tropes of how these shows often work, mm-hmm. like none of them end up together. I'm just going to spoil <laughs> that for you right now. And like that in and of itself is like some kind of that's exciting m- miracle from on high. Uh-huh. Um And it is so, so funny and just fantastic. And it is also a show that I really hope becomes a springboard for a lot of careers because there are so many great people who make this show, who write this show, who are performers on this show, Mm -hmm. who have not really had established careers. And it is the kind of thing that I really hope will be able to be a springboard for people, um, you know, moving forward.
1: Yeah, that's really exciting. That reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, Michael Grayeyes several years ago when the first season of Rutherford Falls came out. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, I can't remember if Reservation Dogs, I think it was maybe about to come out or just starting. That sounds right. And he was so excited because he was just like, yeah, you can't just have the Beatles. You need the Rolling Stones. You need the Clash. You need the Cure. You know, that idea of like,
0: yeah, that's know, a not great just analogy. the show. I yeah. thought it was
1: really fun because I think it it says, you know, We can't just have that one show and call it a day and like congratulate ourselves for liking that one show. So I think to your point, it's exciting to see that happening.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's there was also this brief moment where there was Rutherford Falls and Reservation Dogs and Dark Winds. And Mm. now only Dark Winds is left. I don't know how long it will have. And so it does feel like this pivot moment where like, Either the the world will open and there will continue to be more of these shows developed or Hollywood will say no. We and did those. I am, I am deeply concerned about that possibility. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, I would I hope it's a springboard for all of those characters. I mean, I think about um, gosh, I can't remember her name, but she's one of the writers for Rutherford Falls and she shows up as a receptionist in Reservation mm-hmm. Dogs. Yeah. Janice you know? so Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. She's amazing. So I don't know. Fingers crossed, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I chose succession so that y'all didn't have, to. (laughs) (laughs) and I have to say, I mean, speaking of something we all watched, it was really fun to go on that journey. I think, um, I did find, I think I found the ending to be dissatisfying, but I definitely didn't think about it as hard as I'm sure either of you did. (laughs) Um, here's an iconic scene from the season. Siblings Shiv, Roman and Kendall are pushing their father, Logan, to change a major business deal. They are played by Sarah Snook, Kieran Culkin and Brian Cox. Let's take a listen
0: go ask him for more money. But why? Just good business sense. Gotta make our own pile. Oh, come right, Dad? on. Yeah, I mean, it's what my gut is telling me, and so oh. I gotta listen to my gut. It's, it's all I got to go on. Jesus.
1: You're such fucking dopes. <laughs> you are not serious figures. <laughs> I love you, but you are not. serious people oh my god i recently had the question mark pleasure question mark of rewatching the uh star wars prequels and brian cox voices one of the like alien characters (laughs) oh my god it's i mean what he's just he is an icon he's just an absolute fucking icon
2: and yet you can also hear his voice doing mcdonald's commercials which is very (laughs) jarring (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> what a spectrum. What a spectrum. So I don't know, where where do y'all fall with the succession of it all? I mean, obviously it was, I don't know, was it the biggest show of the year? Probably, right? At least in terms of dramas? I don't know if it was
2: the biggest show. I mean, I think for a certain maybe like media obsessed type of mm. audience, um, it was really, really fascinating watching Succession play out at the same time as all of the uh, Murdoch and Fox News drama stuff Mm. played out because I Mm -hmm. think all of the revelations coming out of the Dominion trial, mm-hmm. you know, where you learn that <laughs> Tucker Carlson hates Trump and basically a lot of those people inside Fox News think that the big lie is really genuinely a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so much of that stuff came out and, of course, you watch Succession, you're <laughs> thinking about Fox News and it's really insidious political influence in our on our lives. And yet, at the same time, I think... What makes succession so great is that you can use it as commentary upon that world, and you can really appreciate just like the specific dynastic dysfunctions of this particular Ugh. family. Yeah, that's um, very I phrased. love this particular season. I think we can spoil and say that... Um, I think we probably yeah. could
1: at this point. Yeah, Logan <laughs> yeah. dies.
2: Logan yes. dies. And I love that most of the season was dedicated to the aftermath because he just yes. leaves yes. this Same. gigantic yes. crater. And I think, you know, I was really afraid that the show wouldn't do that or maybe would be like too scared to do that. Mm-hmm. I love the ending. And <laughs> I don't know. I mean, who isn't the eldest boy here? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean especially the episode where they don't know for sure whether Logan is dead, but they they have a pretty good feel like the the way they filmed it, the direction, the acting, the that episode was so phenomenally done.
3: And also like many fewer millions of people watched that episode than watched The Last of Us on HBO to our Mm, question previously about like, you know, popularity and sort of how we measure impact and and size, Um, although it does obviously bear all of this connection to. Real world stories and and figures. The other thing about Succession and Reservation Dogs uh, and Beef is that they are original stories, right? And like mm. The Last of Us, this adaptation of a thing that we already know how right. it ends. Um, and and I think that part of of why that season and like not knowing that he was going to die or when or how, like mm. th- there is actually like, shockingly little of that on TV now. Mm. And so it is just so lovely when we get those moments.
1: Okay, let's take a quick break and then we will be back with more of
0: our favorite television of 2023. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen. Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer, Sundays, exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Okay, so Ingu, what is next on your list?
2: Please allow me to talk about the one show that I am the most passionate about. I don't know if this is the quote unquote best show of the year, but this is the show that I will never stop talking about, which is Fellow Travelers. Um, it is a, <laughs> I love like the absolute silence with which um, <laughs> you guys greeted
1: that. Okay, well, in my defense, I had not actually heard of this until you emailed it to me yesterday. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to watch the hell out of oh, this. Oh, yes, mm. please.
2: The origin point of the miniseries is the Lavender Scare, which is essentially a campaign to rout gay men and women from government service by Mm Joseph mccarthy he is also doing the red scare at the same time but um he is really making a point of this and i think that the lavender scare which is a which is pretty much a forgotten chapter in u.s history for Mm -hmm. a lot of people uh ended up purging more people out of government service than the red scare did Mm -hmm. so you have all of these closeted mostly men In Washington who are terrified and yet at the same time the most ambitious of them and the most strategic of them are trying to survive and one of the ways that they're doing this sadly is by sort of finding other scapegoats within their community and throwing them under the bus damn and the other larger background of this is that Joseph McCarthy Uh, historically in real life was also also rumored to be gay and his right hand man in all of this was Roy Cohn who we are Mm. fairly certain Mm. was gay and so (laughs) you have (laughs) I mean it's Mm -hmm. so dire and it's so sad and it's so tragic and yet this show which is about so many sad historical events in US history feels so much more romantic than it does tragic which I think is honestly a small miracle
0: Have you ever had inappropriate physical contact with another man? No. Such a damn good liar.
1: Do you like it this way? All this pretending.
4: You're everything to me.
1: If I was everything, you wouldn't be going where you're going.
4: You should be careful. Everybody lies about something.
1: The
2: other thing to say about fellow travelers is that it is so, so steamy. (laughs) It is, hands down, the sexiest show on television this entire year, and Jonathan Bailey is also on Bridgerton, and I'm sorry if you're a Bridgerton fan, but... There's just like no comparison between the sex on Fellow Travelers and the sex <laughs> on Bridgerton. And I think one of the reasons why is that it's so revealing of the characters and where they are and their mm. passion for each other. And yet, at the same time, you have this knowledge that as wonderful as like the sex is between them, it's just not enough of an expression of like the deep love that they feel for one another wow and so yeah i mean if you love feelings and you love feelings <laughs> down there this is a show for you wow. i don't know how better i can sell wow. this <laughs>
3: that's what a line wow 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 wow
1: <laughs> you have definitely sold me good <laughs> <laughs> um okay Catherine. what's next on your list
3: Great. So next on my list, uh, I this is the sort of other version of Succession, I think, for a lot of TV critics this year. Mm. Um, it's The Bear, yes. which felt like one of those undeniable shows that uh, s- somehow managed to be both critically beloved and b- pretty popular as mm-hmm. far as intense Dramadies uh, on not the most popular streaming platforms about fairly niche spaces. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yet like my parents watched the bear i have a t-shirt that says the burf on it and when i leave the house wearing it people go oh my god i love that show which that never happens like that's not a thing anymore uh so the bear if somehow if you have not seen it Mm -hmm. the it is about a restaurant in chicago it is about uh chef. Uh, his name is Carmi. He's played by Jeremy Allen White. He's very hot. Mm-hmm. And he uh, <laughs> Thank wears... Thank you for saying that. It yep. needs to be mentioned at <laughs> the top, I think. It's just important. He wears t-shirts, white t-shirts with the sleeves all rolled up. A lot up. of tattoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and he is a, like a, a incredibly well ranked like Michelin star chef who has burned out in that space. And at the same time has inherited his brother's um, restaurant sandwich shop in Chicago after uh, his brother also dies by suicide as a theme. Mm. Um, And, the second season, I was legitimately concerned about because mm-hmm. they it came out pretty quickly. There was so much popularity after of the first season. There was yeah. so much sort of buzz and push for a second season. And yes. I think Ingu also knows that sentence of like, take your time. Like, please do not rush out this next season. And when it comes too fast, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> That's um, what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and but- yes, but it's so great it's so so great and it does something that is one of my most favorite tv things it really only exists in tv spaces like as a form it doesn't exist in books or in film in in the same way which is that you can do these single character stories for mm. for different episodes and they have their own whole little worlds they have their own beautiful little emotional arcs. They mm-hmm. uh, feel like separate spaces. They feel like beautiful individual prod projects and then the totality of the season is so much more rich and surprising and you just come at the end of a season with a completely different investment in all of these people Um, there's I think it's season or I think it's episode 7 which is the standalone episode with Richie that is my most favorite it just lives in a little corner of my heart it's beautiful it's so great and I just I was so so relieved and happy and and thrilled by how great that season is. Same. It's on my list
1: too. Um, Ingo, I'm excited to hear what you think of it as well. I think partly like I liked season one. I loved season two. It was so much softer and kinder and gentler Mm -hmm. and with the way it treated its characters and I think with the way the characters treated each other and I loved that.
2: I have heard from ser- from some people that they have a hard time watching the show, or they can't really imagine watching the show, mm-hmm. because especially after season one, there was a lot of chatter about how it really mimics the stresses of working in the kitchen. So much yeah. yelling, just yeah. like the sweaty panic, like for fifty nine minutes of like every hour, and I understand that viewpoint, but for me, it's not really about that. For me, it is a show about how these people understand that they work in a toxic workplace, and they're trying to figure out how to create a new workplace with the same people uh, by bringing out the best within them, and by trying to sort of detoxify the ingrained patterns within uh, their own brain. And I think that, honestly, for me, that is sort of like the fairy tale element of the show that I appreciate the most I love this place, I love this city I want to start
1: our first business here, I want it to be a real business an honest business with 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 honest partners
0: we want to do high level dining and hospitality and, and, and beverages and we can and we will because we know that any good restaurant starts with dedication to service and taking care of the customer We drafted a quick term sheet that
1: specifically lays out not only our business prospectus, but an execution guide as well as a return portfolio. Richard, will you turn that fucking thing off, please?
2: So, in the second season, the restaurant shuts down for like a large portion of. The episodes, uh, they have to do a bunch of maintenance and also they're retraining a lot of the employees. And do I believe that this tiny sandwich shop has the means to send one of their chefs to Denmark? Like, no. There are a
1: lot of continuity issues, (laughs) especially if you live in Chicago. I'm just going to say it that way. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But also, like, I don't really care, right? Like, I yeah, want to watch totally. Sydney go to, like, 12 different restaurants in Chicago and mm-hmm. eat 12 perfect meals and get inspiration from each one of them and rediscover her passion for food. And I want to watch, you know, the episode that Catherine mentioned, Richie, learned that he actually has, like, Ugh. real skills and he didn't Richie. know that about himself.
1: So beautiful. Yeah. I think that show more than any other this year. I just found myself weeping by the end of like a great number of those episodes, just because I was so touched by whatever it was, whatever portrayal they had. It was just like, oh shit, you pulled that off again! It's like, a big it soft just, show. It's it, big, it is a big soft, soft, soft show. Soft show. show. Um, okay, so Ingo, what is your third pick? I am. What
2: is the sports metaphor here? Going <laughs> on the mat, who are wrestlers? Okay.
1: Oh, yeah, that works. I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Sorry, I know so little about sports and I don't I care to learn anymore. I am ask. Yeah. You're putting on some shorts? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, put your uh, stretchy shorts on for
3: <laughs> wrestlers. I started wrestling. It's kind of like a last resort type thing. You can only take so many hits before you get angry. Do I have some regrets? I want to be more than what I am. I say wrestling saved me, I found a way to channel my anger.
0: Professional wrestling is an art form. It's based on real life pain,
3: trauma. You've got to be a little mad.
1: Fascinating. Five seconds into that, the first piano, and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm all in on this. <laughs>
2: get ready to cry girl gotcha
1: <laughs> yeah it turns out that's all it takes every time
2: <laughs> uh, this is a doggy series on Netflix by Greg Whiteley who uh, is the guy behind uh, another controversial pick cheer um, mm. and also last chance to you um, I think he has essentially become like this like really deeply humanist uh Documentarian of, like, sort of where sports, mentorship, and economic precarity intersect. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I don't know anything about sports. I don't know anything about wrestling. And I was absolutely riveted by this docuseries, which is about an independent wrestling league, I think out of Ohio, mm-hmm. that is trying to survive. Essentially, there are these, like, two really big wrestling leagues, the WWE and something else, sorry. And there <laughs> are I all of these wrestling. like tiny little leagues that are trying to survive and they don't have like the big splashy TV money. And mm. so they're trying to figure out how to pay their athletes. And at the same time, uh, you follow all of the different uh, people who are putting themselves through just physical hell in order for a chance at stardom. And Mm. at the center of the story, at least for me, is a mother and daughter who are both wrestlers. And (laughs) part of the season leads up to a fight between them. And, you know, of course, there are things about it that are staged, but they're also both playing versions of themselves. And a lot of the animosity that they had Um, to sort of like come out through that fight because if you are a wrestler, you need to travel a lot. You're not always going to be there for your children. And so all of these feelings of resentment and these feelings of neglect that the daughter feels are coming out, are being channeled, are being hopefully worked out. Um, And yeah, there is like such a great emphasis, at least within this league, on the importance of storytelling, on having characters uh, be people that you want to follow from week to week. And I mean, the docuseries like sort of like uses that as, as this guiding star, right? Like these are really fascinating stories. And I think sort of like on a slightly less important point, There are so many docu-series right now, like, always everywhere, on every fucking network and every website. (laughs) And they are all so visually bleh. And this one is just gorgeous to look at. The aesthetics Mm. of wrestling is, I think, like, something that's really highlighted here. And... Yeah, I think there's just like a human spark that Greg Whiteley is able to bring out of his subjects that I really love.
1: Wow, that sounds really intriguing. OK, so my third pick is one that I believe I have raved about to both of you in other conversations, but I am just so excited that season four of For All Mankind is back. And I just yes. think Moon it is show. so Moon consistent Moon show. <laughs> phenomenal. And I just love it. And I think everything everyone should watch it. And like, yeah, I just if you don't like space stuff, you're going to love it. If you love space stuff, you're going to love it. That's how I feel about that show. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've seen two episodes of the show and mm. then I stopped. So tell oh, yeah. me on why I should keep going. Okay. Well, it really helps. I actually had a conversation with a nerdout listener on Instagram about this recently because she was like, yeah, I started it. And like, it was just so dude heavy. And I think especially early on, it's very white dude heavy. And you're kind of like, is this really what the world needs? It took me until the lady pilot episode. And then I was like, oh, these are a bunch of bad bitches. I am ready to watch this. I think, you know, the show we're in season four, it has spanned 40 years at this point. So the opportunities for character development in a show that's that narratively ambitious, I think is just really exciting. But also the alternate history of it all is it's, it turns out it's a really nice place to be when you're in an America where like they figured out, um, you know, be how to be carbon neutral 10 years ago or whatever. Like, (laughs)
3: Yeah. Yeah. Also, okay. Goo, okay, you know that thing that, like, a Mad Men season used to do where it was, like, you would have a little episode where, I mean, and they're full hour long. They're like a good hour. But you we would have an episode where you're like, oh, I'm doing this thing over here with these characters. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to go over here and do this thing with these characters. And mm. you're like, these plots are kind of slow. Are they actually coming together? Like, where is the momentum here? And then you get to fucking episode nine. You're like, holy shit. Yeah. I did not expect for the and then and then it's also going to happen at the same time as the, and, the, and that like so few shows are actually able to are invested in doing that kind of arc yeah. storytelling yes. these days. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. This show has crossed me a couple times in season three <laughs> and season four, and there are some things that I'm not happy with it about. And yet still, I sit down and I'm like, all right, let's go. Also, season four has is basically the Americans in my head in one of the subplots, if that also helps <gasps> you at all. Yes. I mean, how could it not? You
2: mentioned the A word. Yes, right. <laughs> all right. All right. I will give yeah. this another
3: shot this weekend. Thank you. Good. I'm glad. Okay, Catherine, what is your third pick? It's a show called I'm a Virgo. It's on Prime. Uh, It is by the uh, filmmaker and TV creator Boots Riley, who, uh, if you may have heard of from his movie Sorry to Bother You, he does these projects that are incredibly strange, surrealist approaches Mm -hmm. to political commentary. Uh, They start out. In what feels like worlds where you're like, maybe I understand what this is and where this is going. <laughs> um, I'm a Virgo. Starts with a kind of fairy tale premise, and you're like, okay, I can already see like what this fable is going to be. It is about mm-hmm. a young black kid who is born in Oakland who is a giant, and his family has to hide him from the world because they believe he will be perceived as a threat.
0: Hmm. <laughs> the world is not ready yet.
3: I don't want nobody to see your big ass. Because if they see you, they're gonna try to get the people
0: in. Gotta wait till your 21st birthday.
4: From that day forward, I knew
0: nothing would stop me from achieving greatness.
3: Well, I'm a Virgo.
0: And Virgos love adventure.
4: Fact. Let's go! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> go. Let go. We're showing up with it. This isn't
2: working,
3: And you're thinking, like, okay, like, this is a really fascinating approach to talking about race and the way that families have to raise black children to protect them from the world, all this kind of stuff. And, like, yes, that is very clearly what this is, except. It also has like Walton Goggins as a literal superhero guy in like a weird skin tight white (laughs) suit thing, like zipping (laughs) around the earth being so weird. And and inevitably, of course, the main character uh, breaks out of the place where he's sort of been hidden and starts interacting with other kids his age. And all of that is so much more funny and like and there's so much more friction to it than that kind of initial fable setup might lead you to believe. And then by the end, it is this sort of, um, like, absolutely sort of cataclysmic um, exploration of and support for the idea of, like, public protests and the cost that it has for the people who have to bear that kind of sacrifice. Wow. Uh, it's, it's wild. It is... It is one of those shows that you watch and you just think like, thank God somebody paid somebody to make this sort of thing. (laughs) Amazon. Amazon did. But that's the other thing. Like, I don't know how nobody flagged this inside Prime for being like, little cognitive dissonance happening in here. Is everyone fine? (laughs) But they did it. And so so you really should go watch it before it disappears and somebody realizes.
4: Oh, my
1: God. That's really funny. Ingu, did you watch this one? Yeah. I think... I don't
2: know that if I loved it as much as Catherine did. I found it so very messy. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like, I, I think, like, the messiness honestly works to its credit. Um, mm-hmm. He has a love interest. If you want to know how a 13-foot teenager has sex with, like, a regular-sized lady... Um, you will be watching some things. Um, <laughs> there is also sort of like an evil fast food chain that is like spreading poison through burgers. Wow. There is also like a weird TV show that like puts people into catatonic states. There it's is just so weird. There's a it's lot. So weird. Yeah, but it's one of those shows where you're sort of like, I guess I would rather have a box that is like filled up to 130% as opposed to like. A lot of shows that are sort of yeah. built up to like seventy percent mm. on a good um. day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so I asked each of you to bring like an unsung hero show also of just like something that you feel like did not get its time in the sun this year. And I'd love to know what your picks are for that one as well. I think mine is Starstruck, which came out it's uh, the season yep. came out this year on Max. And it's just so fucking charming. I just yes. really enjoy it. I think it's kind of perfect. And I didn't think enough people talked about the third season this year. So I didn't realize fine. there was a third season already. I know, right? Well, and what happened too is like I was looking it up or I pulled it up on Max and I forgot that there had been a second season. I just feel like it's not getting yelled about enough because nope. no, I think like, yes, there are a million romantic comedies out there, but this one... Is so genuinely like tender and funny, and so much about friendship as much as it is about any relationship. And it's just mm. a real joy to watch.
2: Okay. Mine is another Max show, and I am a little bit embarrassed to say that I did not know that it existed like a week ago. Wow! And then I uh, heard about it from a different TV critic. Thank God we have those. <laughs> mm. And I was floored by how great it was. It is called Scavenger's Rain. It is a It is a sci-fi animated series. Um, I think maybe like the closest analog is something like Annihilation. It is essentially about these um, different survivors on a planet that is extremely hostile to them, but in this like completely impersonal way. And basically they're all like, they're mostly separated and trying to converge upon the wreckage of their former ship. Um, there are still some people, I think in deep sleep um, I think that's the term. Sorry, I know so little about sci-fi. And they really want to, like, save those people before anything bad happens to them. And the selling point, at least for me, for the show is that the flora and the fauna that they come up with on the show are so entirely original. Mm
4: -hmm. And one
2: thing that I really... Have never understood about sci fi or animation is why people take so few imaginative leaps. And this is a show where it's only imaginative leaps. Mm. Um, and the other, like, r- really intriguing aspect of the show is that for maybe like the first half, there is very, very little dialogue. And it really just forces you to pay attention. It is going, it is a show that like works like on its own rhythms and it is up to you to try to like adjust to the show's rhythms and yet you know i think like by the third or fourth episode i was absolutely hypnotized
0: nothing is safe out here
3: i think there's more to this planet than we've realized
0: the world shares things with me things that are far beyond what's right in front of me
3: Your time is short. Oh, shit.
1: That's cool. Um, So, Catherine, what do you wish people had yelled about more this year in a good way?
3: (laughs) I am. I'm actually very, very grateful that I did hear a little bit of yelling about this show. Um, It's called Deadlock. It's an Australian show, but you can watch it on Prime. And it was a show literally what I heard over the summer. It was, you know, some... Uh, a friend of mine on like her Insta stories or whatever it was like, where is everyone yelling about this show? And I was like, oh, shoot, that's my job. Oh, no, that's me. It's supposed to be me. And then like, even then, I still didn't quite get to it <clears throat> for another like it certainly after it was released. And then I was really busy. I was like, I just need something. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's going to be this. And I put it on and I was like, yes, it was this, which is just (laughs) the best, the best feeling. Um, So the premise of this show, it's an Australian buddy cop show, sort of. It is a mystery series about... um, This very strange little artist colony in Tasmania. It is like a a super freaky lesbian arts colony that is in the same place as this sort of um, older um, fishing town. And so Mm -hmm. there's uh, still a bunch of men who are working in the fishing industry and they deeply resent all of the lesbians. (laughs) Is this top of the lake? No, it's I but know, it's it yes, kind of but of better league. and funnier. Better, I, no, I I mean different, a very different <laughs> vibe. Okay, and and then underneath that, there's the like indigenous community who is also still there and mm. thinks like everyone is ridiculous, right? <laughs> and uh, murders start coming pretty fast and furious like you know the bodies really pile up and it does all of the kind of like red herring twist and turn sorts of things that you want as you're doing your like procedural mystery but it is also so 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 funny about all of these different communities and how they all live together it is absolutely unflinching at like making fun of this ridiculous like arts group that they have I could not stop laughing and then also taking quite seriously the like gender politics and the sort of um indigenous politics of what this place is like i think We now have gotten to a place where television is like, all right, let's try to sell stories about, like, gentrification. Mm. Let's try to uh, to tell stories about place and what happens when people come in. I mean, I think the curse is certainly trying to do this in a way that is, like, serious, even while it's also trying to be funny. Deadlock is basically the same sorts of politics, except it is so more willing to actually poke fun at like all the sides of this equation, mm. and and yet bloody murder everywhere. <laughs> I had a great, 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 great time. It's a cop dynamic that I don't you don't usually see, um, and I I'm desperately hoping they make another season.
1: Well, Ingu, Catherine, thank you both very much for coming on. This was great. Thanks. Thanks for having us. And last but not least, here are some recommendations from you. Hi, Nerdette. This is
2: Betsy from Deerfield. My favorite show this year was Heartstopper Season Two. It is just the cutest, nicest, happiest. Uh, LGBTQ
4: story that I think I've ever seen in my life.
1: Hey, Internet, it's Catherine in Okinawa, Japan. I can't believe you're asking what the best show of the year is because it's obviously for all mankind on Apple TV. And just like most of the best things in my life, I wouldn't have watched it if it weren't for you. So thanks.
4: This is Stevie. I'm coming at you from... Asheville, North Carolina, on my morning walk, which is delightful, but very cold. Uh, Your focus on delight is the thing that keeps me coming back to this podcast over and over again. So on going with that theme, I thought I'd share some shows that I found to be absolutely delightful this year. One is Reservation Dogs. It was really funny and touching, and it was a look into a community of people we don't often get to see in the spotlight of TV or movie stories in this way. It was created by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi, and I can't recommend it enough. And speaking of Taika Waititi, the other gem of a show I devoured this year was Our Flag Means Death. And it's a show about pirates, (laughs) pirates, yes, Um, but Taika uses that same talent uh, for telling stories of quirky and sometimes outcast people who live in community together. I hope that others enjoy it, and I just love hearing the things you all share and the other listeners share about things they find delightful. And I can't wait to listen to even more delightful uh, episodes of Nerdette in 2024. Betsy,
1: Catherine, Stevie, Cara, thank you very much for your voicemails. Those were excellent contributions to the conversation. It is always wonderful to hear from you. That's it for this year. I can't believe I'm saying that, but we turned 10 this year. It's been a while to ride. And we're going to be back in 2024 with more of all the great stuff you love. I'm really excited with our start for book club for the year. We're reading Jonathan Abernathy. You are kind it is by Molly McGee. We'll have that spoiler free author interview in the feed on Tuesday, January 2nd. And of course, we would love for you to read along with us and tell us what you think. This is a very strange and intriguing book, as you will be able to tell from the author interview. Also, we are recording our panel discussion on Friday, January 26th that means that is your deadline for sending us voicemail. So let us know. We really would love to hear what you think. Nerdette is produced by me, Greta Johnson, and Anna Bauman from WBEZ in Chicago. And we are also a part of the NPR network. And Brendan Banaszak is our executive producer. We will see you next year.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.